Chapter Nine of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Habitations of Horrid Cruelty, age twenty three and twenty four. On the sixth of June, eighteen thirty eight, the white frost lay on the west side of Pittsburgh roofs as we steamed away from her wharf bound for Louisville where my husband proposed going into a business already established by his brother Samuel. On the boat, all the way down the river, the general topic of conversation was the contrast between the desolate slave-cursed shores of Kentucky and the smiling plenty of the opposite bank. But Louisville was largely settled by northern people and was to prove an oasis in the desert of slavery it lay at the head of the falls of the ohio and the general government had lately expended large sums in building a canal around them henry clay was in the zenith of his power slavery held possession of the national resources louisville might count on favors and she was to be the queen city of the west there was an aspiring little place which fancied itself a rival a little boat landing without natural advantages called cincinnati where they killed hogs but it was quite absurd to think of her competing with the great metropolis at the head of the canal i was surprised to find there were a good many houses and folks in cincinnati but our boat did not stop long and we soon reached our el dorado before we effected a landing at the crowded wharf i fell to wondering if a pittsburgh drayman could take a louisville dray its load its three horses and ragged driver pile them on his dray and with his one horse take them to their destination and i thought he could samuel met us and we went in a hack to the boarding place he had engaged i wondered what had happened that so many men were off work in the middle of the forenoon who were what could they be those fellows in shining black broadcloth each with a stove-pipe hat on the side of his head his thumbs in the armholes of a satin vest displaying a wonderful glimmer of gold chain and diamond stud balancing himself first on his heels then on his toes as he rolled a cigar from one side of his mouth to the other how did they come to be standing around on corners and doorsteps by the hundred like crows on a cornfield fence it was some time before i learned that this was the advanced guard of a great army of women whippers which stretched back to the atlantic and around the shores of the gulf of mexico and that they were out on duty as a staring brigade whose business it was to insult every woman who ventured on the street without a male protector by a stare so lascivious as could not be imagined on american free soil i learned that they all lived in whole or in part by the sale of their own children and the labor of the mothers extorted by the lash i came to know one hoary-haired veteran whose entire support came from the natural increase in wages of nineteen women one of whom a girl of eighteen lived with him in a fashionable boarding-house waited on him at table slept in his room and of whose yearly wages one hundred and seventy-five dollars were credited on his board bill i learned that none of the shapely hands displayed on the black vests had ever used other implement of toil than a pistol bowie knife or slave whip that any other tool would ruin the reputation of the owner of the taper digits but they did not lose caste by horse-whipping the old mammies 
from whose bosoms they had drawn life in infancy. Our boarding-house was on Walnut Street, one block west of the theatre, and looked toward the river. On the opposite side of the street stood a two-story brick house, always closed except when a negress opened and dusted the rooms. I never saw sadness or sorrow until I saw that face, and it did not appear except about her work, or when she emerged from a side gate to call in two mulatto children who sometimes came out on the pavement. This house belonged to a northern mudsill, who kept a grocery and owned the woman, who was the mother of five children, of whom he was the father. The older two he had sold, one at a time, as they became saleable or got in his way. On the sale of the first, the mother took on so that he was obliged to flog her almost to death before she gave up. But he had made her understand that their children were to be sold at his convenience, and that he would not have more than three little niggers about the house at one time. After that first lesson she had been reasonable. Our hostess, a Kentucky lady, used to lament the loss of two boys, two of the beautifulest boys. They were the sons of her bachelor uncle, who had had a passion for Liza, one of his father's slaves, a tall, handsome quadroon, who rejected his suit and was in love with Joe, a fellow-slave. To punish both, the young master had Joe tied up and lashed until he fainted, while Liza was held so that she must witness the torture, until insensibility came to her relief. This was done three times, when Joe was sold, and Liza herself bound to the whipping post and lashed until she yielded and became the mother of those two beautiful boys. But, added her biographer, she never smiled after Joe was sold, took consumption, and died when her youngest boy was two months old. They were the beautifulest boys I ever laid eyes on, and Uncle sought great store by them. He couldn't bear to have them out of his sight, and always said he would give them to me. He would have done it, I know, if he had made a will, but he took sick sudden, raving crazy, and never got his senses for one minute. It often took three men to hold him on the bed. He thought he saw Joe and Liza, and died cursing and raving. She paused to wipe away a tear and added, The boys were sold down south. Maybe your way up north is best after all. I never knew a cruel master die happy. They are sure to be killed or die dreadful. She had an old rheumatic cook, Martha, who seldom left her basement kitchen, except when she went to her Baptist meeting, but for hours and hours she crooned heartbreaking melodies of that hope within her of a better and happier world. She had a severe attack of acute inflammation of the eyelids, which forcibly closed her eyes and kept them closed. Then she refused to work. Her wages, one hundred and seventy-five dollars a year, were paid to her owner, a woman, and these went on. So her employer sent for her owner, and I, as an abolitionist, was summoned to the conference that I might learn to pity the sorrows of mistresses and understand the deceitfulness of slaves. The injured owner sat in the shaded parlor in a blue-black satin dress that might almost have stood upright without assistance from the flesh or bones inside. With the dress was combined a mass of lace and jewelry that represented a large amount of money, and the mass, as it sat there, and as I recall it, has made costly attire odious. 
this bedizened martyr this costumer's advertisement sat and fanned as she recalled her grievances her entire allowance for personal expenses was the wages of nine women and her husband would not give her another dollar they knowing her necessities were so ungrateful nobody could think how ungrateful but in all her sorrows martha was her crowning grief she had had two husbands and had behaved so badly when the first was sold then every time one of her thirteen children were disposed of she did take on so nobody could imagine how she took on once the gentle mistress had been compelled to send her to the workhouse and have her whipped by the constable and that cost fifty cents but really this martyr and her husband had grown weary of flogging martha one hated so to send a servant to the public whipping-post it looked like cruelty did cruelty lacerate the feelings of refined people and it was so ungrateful in martha and all the rest of them to torture this fine lady in this rough way as to martha's ingratitude there could be no doubt for to this our hostess testified and called me to witness that she had sent her a cup of tea every day since she had complained of being sick yes a cup of tea with sugar in it and yet the old wretch had not gone to work when they had finished the recital of their grievances they came down to business the owner would remit two weeks wages after that it was the business of the employer to pay them and see that they were earned if it were necessary now to send martha to the whipping-post the lady in satin would pay the fifty cents but for any future flogging the lady in lawn must be responsible to the city of louisville we adjourned to the kitchen where old martha stood before her judge clutching the table with her hard hands trembling in every limb her eyelids swollen out like puff-balls and offensive from neglect her white curls making a border to her red turban receiving her sentence without a word as a sheep before her shearers she was dumb opening not her mouth those wrinkled old lips from which i had heard few sounds save those of prayer and praise were closed by a cruelty perfectly incomprehensible in its unconscious debasement our hostess was a leading member of the fourth street m e church the other feminine fiend a presbyterian i promised the lord then and there that for life it should be my work to bring deliverance to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound but all i could do for martha was to give her such medical treatment as would restore her sight and save her from the whipping-post and this i did while i lived on that dark and bloody ground a man was beaten to death in an open shed on the corner of two public streets were the sound of the blows the curses of his two tormentors and his shrieks and unavailing prayers for mercy were continued a whole forenoon and sent the complaining air shuddering to the ears of thousands not one of whom offered any help a brown-haired girl maria the educated refined daughter of a kentucky farmer was lashed by her brutal purchaser once and again and again for chastity where hundreds who heard the blows and shrieks knew the cause from that house she was taken to the workhouse and scourged by the public executioner backed by the whole force of the united states government oh god can this nation ever ever be forgiven for the blood of her innocent children 
passing a crowded church on a sabbath afternoon i stepped in when the preacher was descanting on the power of religion and an illustration he told of two wicked young men in that state who were drinking and gambling on sunday morning when one said i can lick the religion out of any nigger the other would bet one hundred dollars that he had a nigger out of whom the religion could not be licked the bet was taken and they adjourned to a yard this unique nigger was summoned and proved to be a poor old man his master informed him that he had a bet on him and the other party commanded him to curse jesus on pain of being flogged until he did the old saint dropped on his knees before his master and pled for mercy saying massa master i cannot curse jesus jesus die for me he die for you master i no curse him i no curse jesus the master began to repent in babyhood he had ridden on those old bowed shoulders then stalwart and firm and he proposed to draw the bet but the other wanted sport and would win the money oh the horrible details that that preacher gave of that day's sport of the lashings and faintings and revivals with washes of strong brine the prayers for mercy and the recurring moan i know curse jesus masser i know curse jesus jesus die for me masser i die for jesus as the sun went down jesus took him and his merciful master had sold a worthless nigger for one hundred dollars but the only point which the preacher made was that one in favour of religion when it could so support a nigger what might it not do for one of the superior race for months i saw every day a boy who could not have been more than ten years old but who seemed to be eight and who wore an iron collar with four projections and a hoop or bale up over his head this had been put on him for the crime of running away and was kept on to prevent a repetition of that crime the master who thus secured his property was an elder in the second presbyterian church and led the choir the principal baptist preacher owned and hired out one hundred slaves took them himself to the public mart and acted as auctioneer in disposing of their services the time at which this was done was in the christmas holidays or rather the last day of the year when the slaves annual week of respite ended a female member of the fourth street methodist church was threatened with discipline for nailing her cook to the fence by the ear with a tenpenny nail the preacher in charge witnessed the punishment from a back window of his residence hundreds of others witnessed it called by the shrieks of the victim and his reverence protested on the ground that such scenes were calculated to injure the church End of chapter nine